Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to episode 18 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. It's Florida Georgia Week. Call it the world's largest cocktail party. Call it the war for the ore. Call it the River City Showdown. Call it the SEC East Championship Game. Or just call it Florida Georgia. Regardless of what you personally choose to call this game in Jacksonville, we can all agree that this is the biggest game of the year for the Florida Gators. And as such, we have a special guest for this one that we're going to bring on shortly. But first things first, I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W-Dustin. And as usual, we've gotten all kinds of weather creator and founder Neil Schulman with us, and you can follow him at All Kinds Weather. And as usual, we have got contributor Casey Hampton with us today, and you can follow him at champton85. So guys, how's it going today? It's going great, man. Uh, we got a really special guest on today, as you mentioned. I can't wait to bring him on. I can't wait to Look forward to the Florida-Georgia game. It is Florida-Georgia, by the way, not Georgia-Florida, F before G. That's just, you know, common. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to get into it. How about you, Casey? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm in enemy territory, as all of you all know. I live in Atlanta. So uh, I've been keeping a low profile this week just because of uh, superstitions. So I'll be heading down to uh, Fernandina Beach to be with some friends uh, at a beach house for the game. So I will not be in Duval County, Neil, and I will not be in the city of Jacksonville. Yeah, good, because Casey is a curse. Casey is bad luck for Florida curse. when he goes. I, they, they've won in the midst of it. Once so a bad against, record. what, four losses? Well, thank you, Will Muschamp. Okay, you, you went last year too, but <laughs> beside the point. Yeah, guys. Well, it's good to be back into it after having missed Sunday's episode due to a family matter. Well, now that that's all taken care of, I'm excited to be back with y'all and talking football. So I don't know about you, but I'm super excited for our special guest. But real quick, we do have a, a few quick pieces of business to discuss. First, we have our resolution to the brawl that marred the Florida-Missouri game on Saturday night. And obviously, if you haven't listened to it already in the, in the, in the podcast that came out uh, Monday morning, we talked ad nauseum concerning that. This is what will take place uh, moving forward as a result of that brawl. It came out Monday afternoon that Florida's Zachary Carter and Antoine Powell will be suspended for the first half of the Florida-Georgia game. And Dan Mullen has been fined $25,000. On top of that, from Missouri, Trey Williams, Chad Bailey, Dylan Spencer, and Markel Utsi all got suspended for the first half of the next game. So our guests will be on momentarily. But before we get to our guest, let's... Keep it brief, but what are your thoughts on this matter with the suspensions and, of course, the fine to Dan Mullen? And there's a name on the Missouri side of things that probably should have gotten suspended but didn't. So thoughts, guys? Yeah, so, so it could have been so much worse. I think that's the main takeaway. It could have been so much worse. The SEC was clearly going to do something. I think the fact that it was a relatively clean second half helped the matter for both teams, and I think the joint statement – issued by the two teams helped as well. I'm definitely glad to see that the SEC hit Missouri with a bunch of half game suspensions. Although I do think they should have done something about Trey John Jeffcoat, the guy who leveled Trask for, for sort of King Konging around and banging his chest and flexing at the Florida guys approaching him. But the SEC also could have very easily suspended more Gator players who were in the middle of that skirmish and didn't because they do have a history of suspending anybody who looks even remotely interested in fighting. So <laughs> While to me, I don't think this is total justice because they didn't get the guy who started the whole thing. I can live with it. How about you, Casey? Yeah, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. Um, and it, a, a half is not terrible. I had my thoughts about Dan Mullen needing to have stayed on to the sidelines and kept his emotions in check. I understand why he was out there. But I also understand as a head coach, you're held to a different standard. And he even said that in his statement. It's good to see that there is a resolution to this. 
And I think it's enough punishment to live in that godforsaken state in Missouri to begin with. So a little retroactive shade there from Casey. Damn. But anyway, though, like you said in our last pod, Missouri, you wanted a rival and now you got one. So I guess I, I guess I probably could have predicted that was coming. Um, anyway, the last piece of business before we bring on our guest, got to shout out our sponsor slash partner. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. That isn't going to happen exactly this year. We've been reduced to a virtual campaign for 2020 thanks to COVID. And we are looking for candidates to provide that virtual experience to this year. We are hoping to pick a candidate soon, but we are still looking. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please message us on social media or email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Again, that is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. And also, we do kindly ask you to remember that as much as we really would love to do something for everybody, we are a charity, we are a nonprofit, we are specifically trying to help out someone who is underprivileged in some way or someone who is down on his or her luck or just experienced some kind of family tragedy. So we do appreciate your understanding of this. Secondly, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding's got you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business, as I say every show. Especially in a time like this, can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And Two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So yes, they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. And with that said, let's bring on our guests. Now, y'all knew for a big game, we have to bring on a big guest. And we did that because we've got somebody who is very familiar with the Florida-Georgia rivalry to talk about it tonight. Our guest tonight hails from Belglade, Florida. He committed to play for the Gators under Steve Spurrier in 1994, and he played there from 1994 to 1996. He played a key role on three straight SEC championship teams, as well as the famous 1996 national championship team. When it was all said and done, our guest tonight finished his career at Florida with 2,274 receiving yards in his career, which is the fourth most in Gator history and his 18 touchdown catches in 1996, not only led that team on its way to a national title, but that still stands today as the Gators all time TD receptions record in a single season. And perhaps most relevant for our purposes today, he's a member of the Florida Georgia hall of fame. Ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to be joined today by Florida Gator legend, Redell Anthony. Riedel, thank you so much for taking the time, and welcome to our show. Ah, oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. You know, it's always great to talk a little Gator football with a big week coming up. So, hey, I'm all for it. Well, hey, so are we. And aside from your history of roasting Georgia, we've actually got another connection that's worth mentioning on the air. Riedel, your brother is actually Casey's boss at Georgia Tech. Oh, really? Yeah, so he, he, he's my boss at Georgia Tech. Oh, wow. So yeah, he's he, he's really I, best boss I've ever had. He's great. Yeah, he's 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 a good dude. He's you no know, just laid back, chill, and yeah, you never know. Like when Clarence is like frustrated or having a bad exactly. day, he's always like, "Hey, Clarence, hey, the world's ending." <laughs> okay, okay, you know, just like <laughs> know, right? Uh, he uh, he he keeps it simple. He uh, he came over to my place for the A and M game um, with a girlfriend of his from uh, Colorado. Hold up. Girlfriend from Colorado. Well, I don't know if it was a girlfriend, but it was a it was a girl who was a friend who was visiting him from Colorado. Did you just they, break some news to Redell Anthony? Casey? No, 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 no. They, oh, they, Lord. They, 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 the clans fall in love in thirty three minutes, so excellent. <laughs> don't take much for him. He likes it because I always introduce him as Clarence Anthony Jr. Because he's like, mm. you're the only one that ever gets the junior on it. So right. <laughs> uh, you hey. 
doing a great job sucking up to your boss. That's all you have to do to him. Hey, I'm just glad that the in all kinds of weather forecast is going to make it to the water cooler conversations at the Georgia Tech offices. <laughs> Hashtag for the brand. We're so glad that you're with us today on the on the podcast for Dell. You are the definition of a Florida Gator legend. And as Neil said, we know that you played a super huge role in the rich history of what is the Florida Georgia game. There's several highlights we could pull from, but if one thing that, that rings true in all those highlights is you gave everything you got to the orange and blue, and that's a big deal. We're we're gonna discuss the the game that is this coming Saturday and, and we look forward to your analysis and your thoughts on that. But before we get to that, Casey has something that he that he's gonna do with you that we call the lightning round and it is something super special. Uh, where we get your thoughts on some hot-button Gator topics and Gator uh, issues. Casey, go for it. I mentioned uh, for for purposes of this podcast, uh, Riedel's uh, brother is my boss at Georgia Tech, so this is uh, even more fun for me to be able to do this. So um, what was your favorite win to be a part of as a Gator? Oh, favorite win. Uh, oh, man, that's a good one. You know, when you win so much, kind of hard to just narrow it down to one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would say that's championship. Uh, you know, it's a blessing and a curse because it was, you know, blessing to win and that's championship. But, you know, the dagger of the end of my career at the University of Florida. So it was just, you know, a big high and low. All and right. championship. All right. Well, uh, what was your favorite play in your Gator career? I would say my big return against Auburn my sophomore year. I have to say my, my, my favorite one was uh, where you caught the touchdown and you jumped into the fans at, uh, at Neyland Stadium. <laughs> I didn't like <laughs> that too much, but I did. And caught for a touchdown, Redell Anthony. <laughs> and then he jumped in the stands and it was raining and I loved it. I loved yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Um, so what was your favorite Florida win to watch as a fan after your playing days were over at Florida? Okay, well, uh, Oklahoma, didn't we be Oklahoma for the national championship? We did. 2008. 2008, right. It was that one. You know, that's because Oklahoma, they played with a couple guys from there, and they just it's just sad to see them be the same trick on it every year. <laughs> yep. But they still are. You, yes. <laughs> you always know they're going to lose in October and they're going to lose a big game. You know, they ain't going to win a big game. So it's probably when they beat Oklahoma that year for a national championship. For sure. For sure. So what was your favorite stadium not named the Swamp to play in? I would say, you know, Neyland Stadium, University of Tennessee. That's a cool stadium. It's big. Uh, it's an awesome stadium, you know. Especially when it's rocking and we're good, it's it's, uh, it's a fun experience. Uh, so everybody's got a Steve Spurrier story. What's your favorite memory of the head ball coach? Well, Coach Spurrier, for each game, he would go around and pretty much tell everyone a good game. But he always get to like the fifth, sixth person, and he's on a roll, and he forgets the person name, doesn't know it at all, and he just call him my man. <laughs> Yes, we had Chris Doring on our pod uh, to preview the season. He said the exact same thing. So that means you hear it from two different people. It officially means it's true. That's awesome. That is just awesome. Thank you, going. Why you try to stand aside like a walk on or somebody know he won't know he doesn't know. You just to hear him say, "All right, my man." <laughs> Did he ever forget your name at any point in your recruitment process, or maybe early when you were a freshman? No. Okay, because I was going to say, we know he How wouldn't you forget. forget because I know, because I was going to say, we know you wouldn't forget his name once he started catching touchdown passes. That's true. I think well, once he caught one touchdown pass, he probably never forgot you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, special addition to the lightning round just for you, Riedel. What does the Florida Georgia rivalry mean to you? I was one of the fortunate players in Florida history and also Georgia history to play in all three different situations or stadiums. Stadiums, you might as well say. Freshman year was in the swamp, second year between the hedges, and junior year uh, over in Jacksonville. And that's the build up that rivalry. And growing up watching it on CBS, I named Bill Glade, 
you know, it was nothing like it to see the stadium split. And no matter what the records were, people were just, you know, just out of control. And that, you know, that's something you want to be a part of. That's like, you know, guys from Oklahoma and Texas have their little rivalry over there and they split the stadium. It's just a cool, cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, there's nothing like coming over that Hart Bridge yes. um, and just looking into that stadium and you see all the tailgating and you see all the – I lived in Jacksonville for, for 11 years and just seeing, you know, the orange and blue and the red and black and you see the stadium and it's all it's all lined up. It's, it's yeah. a pretty cool thing. Yes, it is. So uh, this is the last lightning round question for you, Redell, and it's twofold. What's your favorite home jersey combo for the Gators, and what's your favorite road jersey combo for the Gators? Oh, man. Like, uh, you talking about now? Or e- either now or back then. I like what they wore this past Saturday for home. That was an all, uh, that was awesome. That was all, awesome. They were awesome. Love those. Yeah, guys. that's a good look. And on the road, you know, I still a fan of white with the orange pants. My man, my favorite road combo. My man. So I have to ask one quick follow up of the non special jersey combos because the the blue helmets and the, the throwback jerseys are a special thing that we're gonna you know we're not gonna do that super frequently. So of the normal. Um, non-special combos. What's your favorite home jersey combo? They got so many jerseys now. Like I, I mean, you know, we just well, I only wore the blue and the, the white. But when f- they played Florida State the next year, I left that night, and they wore the blue on blue. That was with orange helmet. It's a good clean look, also. Yeah, the the all blues man you can't beat that. Yeah, the orange. Yeah. Yep. The all blue, oh. the orange helmet. Yeah, that's a good look. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, awesome. So, Riddell, thank you for taking the time to to be a part of that lightning round. Now let's talk about our current team, and the overwhelming majority of our discussion tonight will be revolving around the the epic Florida Georgia game that is upcoming. But we would be absolutely remiss if we did not ask you, Riddell about the brawl that happened against Missouri this past Saturday. So, Riddell, what's your thoughts on what took place and kind of the aftermath of what happened to the players and Dan Mullen? Uh, That's an unfortunate incident. And everyone knows you protect the quarterback. And obviously it was a cheap shot. It just frustrated and, you know, he did what he did intentionally. But yet, you as a player – you know, I speak from both, you know, player and coaching. You know, as a player, you, you, I'm sorry, I got to put this nice way because we did it at Florida when I was there. You had the guys that would go in there and fight or hustle or be the muscle. You know, you have some of those guys on the team and that's what they're there for. But then when the whole team go to coming and coming, you know, it gets a little dangerous for one. And two, you, you, you know, you're risking your career and all types of, you know, negative publicity as a player. As a coach, you know, it's kind of hard to hold back those those guys, but I saw them, you know, you're going to do so much, especially when it's 50 guys coming at you and most on D-line and O-line that look like up front. Just try to grab the ones you can, and hopefully the ones you have as leaders, as a coach, you can count on them to just grab some of their teammates, pull them back and you know, ask them look more for the big picture and not what's going on right now. Cause you know that, that there, it's, it's going to hurt Florida more than hurt Missouri. And with this big game coming up, you don't want that hanging over what should be an excellent game and an excellent week leading up to it. Before moving on, do you have a story of your playing career at Florida where either a fight broke out or there was kind of a scuffle with an opponent where? Things could have gotten dicey or things did get dicey. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's Florida State. That was almost a given at midfield. And like I just said, we had four or five guys that Coach Burger signed to stand in the 50. They crossed, you hit them. And that's how we handled this situation. And once we got the plan, you, know, you just have to cover yourself out, keep a cool head, and understand. 
you may push them out late, they may push you late. As long as it doesn't escalate to being very disrespectful, spitting, you know, the punching and kicking. But every game we had enforcers. I mean, I remember that uh, 96 game up in Tallahassee. There was a scuffle before that. You know, my mom was just sitting there saying, that Bobby Bowden, he's just a dirty man. (laughs) Excellent impression of your mother, Casey. (laughs) And before 98, too. She she really used a different word, but I'm not not family friendly for this podcast. But I remember there was a couple (laughs) before that game. And there was one before the 98 game, too, where Mm -hmm. Doug Johnson supposedly threw a ball at Bobby Bowden. He he later claimed he wasn't aiming at anyone. He just threw it randomly. Uh, (laughs) That 96 game was where they're playing to the echo of the whistle. whistle. Yep. What he said. Yeah. Well, I'm so mad we don't get that game this year. Um, but we do get Georgia. We do get the Georgia rivalry this year. Even though we don't get the FSU rivalry, we do get the Georgia rivalry. And it is a it is a strange rivalry, to say the least. Um, and I think the best way to go is just to start by talking big picture, and then we can zoom in a little bit and focus on the specifics. And the big picture is that this rivalry has historically seesawed back and forth with each team kind of owning the other one for 20 years or so at a time. So – for those of you who aren't aware, to start with, Georgia went 23-5-1 against Florida in the rivalry's early days. From 1952 to 1970, Florida went 13-5-1. In the 70s and 80s, Georgia took over, and they went 14-5 and against Florida. And from 1990 to 2010, a run which you were obviously, a, you know, you had a hand in that. You were a pretty big part of that. Florida went 18-3 and over Georgia. And in 2011, Georgia appeared to have started their own swing as they're now six and three against us in the last nine games. So I do not, I absolutely do not believe that history has a direct correlation on the present. Every day is a new day. Every game is a new game. But I do think that those who fail to be cognizant of history are more or less doomed to recreate it. And right now, we're living in a chapter of that history where Georgia has dominated the series. And I think it's even fair to use present tense for that. They currently dominate the series because aside from a couple fifth year seniors like Jeremiah Moon and Jacob Finn, there's no one on this Florida roster that's experienced a win over Georgia because they've won three straight. And, you know, you, you coach ball yourself. So you're the perfect guy to ask this to with the way that Georgia has dominated the series in recent years do you think that dan mullen and his staff should take a different approach to georgia this year and how do you think they will approach the georgia game this year i mean honestly if you go back and look at his game plan they have been rather right on but with the guys that he had out there trying to execute it that's where we came into a huge problem i can remember what two Three years ago, I mean, Felipe Franks threw like what five incompletions, two um interceptions, and shoot, one dude jumped, and then he was gonna try to throw it over his head, and he almost hit him in the knees when he jumped. So I feel like his game plan, offensive and right on. Defensively, they've always played well. This first year, they look like they're struggling, and that's because of what all going on and the young players they have. But I mean, the only thing he could possibly change is. Try to have it where they have a faster start. You know, start fast. Uh, They always seem to start in idle, 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 idle. And just, you're looking at the game, it's like, okay, Floyd, take over. Take over. You know, they'll make a play, but still, idle, idle, idle. And if he just put more emphasis on, shoot, let's end this game by the half. And those guys go out and compete. You know, it'll be a, I know for sure it'll be a different turnout. The only time that was that was really different was the 2018 game where we wore the all-white uniforms and Felipe Franks came out and threw that bomb. Um, that was the first play of the game, and Dan Mullen came out swinging. But now we've got a quarterback, and now we've got receivers, and we've got skill players that can make that catch. I'm, I'm right with you, Riddell. Well, I'm no, that start and go fast. Yeah. That was that was Felipe missing. Felipe I know, I know, but now we've got the players to make that happen, and I'm agreeing yes. with Riddell that okay, we can't enough. have a start like we had against Mizzou. I want I want to get out there, 
throw some deep bombs, mm-hmm. test them early, and you know what? If that doesn't work, then we just run the ball down their throats. Right. If that, we can. Well, if we can, indeed, if we can. So um, taking a different direction here, let's zoom, on, let's zoom in and get more specific. Of course, you didn't not only play the game, you're a coach. Um, and you know the game better than most. And really, you know the ins and outs of being a wide receiver and a skill player, especially in an offense as dynamic as Dan Mullins is, better than most. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is that the specific matchup of the Florida wide receivers, um, but you can't not talk about Kyle Pitts in that too um, as a tight end. Um, so really the, the, the Florida skill players uh, versus the Georgia secondary. We know that the Bulldogs aren't going to have Richard LeCount, and they may be down – a few other players, and side note, um, the thoughts and prayers of this podcast are with Richard LeCount as he recovers from uh, being hit um, on a motorcycle this past weekend in Athens. So we do offer our best wishes and prayers for him for a full and speedy recovery. But with the Bulldogs being without Richard LeCount, I don't know if the Florida pass catchers have faced a, a DB unit quite as strong as Georgia's. What are your thoughts on that specific matchup? Oh, it's going to be a great matchup. And like you say, my prayers go out to him and his family also. That's just very unfortunate. And, you know, we got to continue to, want to warn the young men that those motorcycles and scooters and all those things are dangerous. And don't just drive for yourself defensively. Get your head on the swivel and drive defensively for the people around you. For those... You know, those are the ones that are just out of control. But, sure. uh, yeah, hopefully he gets well. Uh, he's a, he was the quarterback of that defense, uh, especially the secondary. And, you know, they have talent, young talent, but without somebody directing and making sure everybody just lines up the right way, missing him is going to hurt. So right now, you know, as a receiver, you should be licking your chops, knowing that, they like to play man-to-man, and they're young. Do they have all the accolades go with why they're at Georgia? Yeah. But those are things on paper and stuff you did in high school. Now we're in college. They, you know, they got to show me that they're capable of stopping me on a college scene. So with the depth Florida carries that receiver, which is probably the deepest they've had in, oof, in 508 somewhere up in there. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's a good a good test for them, and we all know the one the one dominator that just don't fit, and that's the matchup with Kyle Pitts. You know, he's uh, he's a borderline Z receiver in the NFL and a great college tight end. And if he continues to develop and play with that edge and play with that chip on his shoulder, I mean, you can go to him fifteen times a game. But, you know, on the other side, you got guys that can run, can catch, grinds a big target. Tony, we don't know what to call him. I would just call him a Lego man. That's what that man is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What are your thoughts on Tony? I mean, he's a freak of nature. I'm just curious to to, to hear your thoughts on his his ball skill and and the the agility that he has. It's something else. I mean, his, his stop and start is ridiculous. His vision, his anticipation, once he has the ball in his hands, it's um, it's, it's very unique, I would say the least. And you really haven't seen many players that over our lifetime that could do all that little crazy stuff and great tackles and stop, twist it all up, come out, out the other side, and, you know, all the little fascinating things that he does. But the one thing he always does a great job of, he's always under control. He's never just out of control doing things. And he's a guy, I said two years ago, when I visited Florida uh, for a camp or whatnot, he should get 12, 15 touches a game. If you get him 12, 15 touches a game, he's going to score a touchdown, minimum one, possibly two. Or he'll get you down there near there to set up another one. I'll teach just that dynamic. I'll tell him in space, one-on-one. I don't see too many people bringing him down. But Georgia do have some um, guys over there in the secondary that were highly taught. And, you know, they're from Florida. 
So they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder also. Um, they're from Broward Dade County, if I'm not mistaken. I can't think of their names right now, but. Probably thinking of Tyson Campbell and Tyreek Stevenson. Those guys are from South Florida. I can't remember it's, what high school, but they're definitely from the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. Added challenge for our receivers to know that those guys are coming back to the state and whatever family and friends they can get in there, you know, they will be there. And it's gonna be a you know, it's gonna be a long day. So get ready to scrap it up, throw your gloves, and it's gonna be a good match. Well, since we've asked questions about – or since we've really gone and highlighting different players, do you think so far this year there's an MVP on the Florida squad that you would choose from if you could pick anybody on offense, special teams, or or defense? Is there a, a player that stands out for you? Nah, I, I just changed in point one. You know, those guys have complimented each other so well. She just can't say one is outperforming the other. Trash, great. He's throwing the football around great. You know, Pitts making easy catches, great catches, getting open. Only he's doing a lot. It's right now they're playing great team football. So yeah, I just can put somebody out there in front of the other 10. Yeah, it's for sure. You know, the way that Dan Mullen spaces it out and makes sure that multiple players have multiple touches. I mean, between Trent Whittemore um, and Grimes and Justin Shorter this weekend, it's great to see how he uses his skill players. So, well, I was getting, you're also talking to a guy who was on a team that had Heisman trophy team hats given out when Danny Werfel won the Heisman. He wasn't the only one that got some sort of apparel to celebrate it. He made Heisman team hats. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, on the way one of your teammates or yourself can win the Heisman is by the support and and by having a guy out there that you can trust, know they're going to do their 111 and it's going to continue to make make you look good. So, you know, as long as everyone's doing what they're supposed to, supposed to do, it's just destined that one person will be the lead singer in the group. So... Hey, once we're going to group on who the lead singer of the group, everybody else just do what you do, and we all be successful in the long run. Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking about the 1996 team in which Danny Werfel won the Heisman, and we're talking about the 2020 team because that's the current team. And I think a lot of fans are sort of starting to make some comparisons. They're starting to draw some parallels between the 96 team that you were on and the 2020 team that we see right now. And it, I mean, this offense has already set some records. Kyle Trask's 18 touchdown passes through four games is an SEC record. That is the most in SEC history. And the way Florida is able to burn teams through the air does kind of remind me of the 96 offense you played on under Spurrier. So I know in terms of scheme and philosophy, they were pretty different. But looking at everything from – the schematics to the statistics and everything in between. I really like your insight on what you think the biggest similarity is and the biggest differences between the 96 offense and the 2020 offense. I mean, I don't really see too many. They're, what they do and what we did is totally different, I would say. It's not too many. Besides putting up points and a lot of yards, that's by far I would go is comparing it to on an offensive skill, even, you know, fundamentals, technique, or, you know, ways of attacking the defense. We were we were heavy, heavy draw teams. They're more power ISO. Um, they're quick hitting type team, you know, the 2020 team. Uh, we were pushing more down the field intermediately to deep and work, you know, from deep to short. And we finally put in bubble screen. We finally put that stuff in because we didn't have that until, I think, like, the 96 team. They didn't have that stuff. And they run way more, like, plays to get it in your hands, the receivers, a lot more than we did. And I would say our running game was much better than, you know, what I'm watching now. And the backs, you know, you can argue – you know how they compare, but we had Fred, Elijah, 
theory. You know, all three guys when they play in the league, one at position. That's how athletic and special Elijah was. Uh, he played D in the NFL. So their concepts and our concepts, maybe blocking scheme wise on the run game is similar, but passing scheme wise, not much matching. So super quick follow up to that. Who is the better player for Florida? Fred Taylor or Ike Hilliard? If it's not you, because we know you're number one. So okay. if it's not you, let's say if it's is it is it Ike or Fred? It was Ike. Fred while at Florida, knowing Fred, Fred, y'all really we we didn't even we didn't even pierce the skin of Fred when he was at Florida. And I used to tell him that. All the time. He'll tell you I'm his biggest critic, biggest supporter, but I stayed on his case all the time on how much more he can do, how much he should do. But once Fred got to Jacksonville and he finally listened to me, when he got his <laughs> eyes checked, that's when y'all saw what you said, you know, over the years in Jacksonville. Hey, I, I, I'm a Jags fan, Riedel. So Fred, Fred Taylor, I mean, I could work yes. with him as a Gator. And then when the Jaguars came around shortly after, I mean, they came around in 95 and Fred, you know, was one of the first major huge players <laughs> that we had drafted there. So I was lucky that I actually got to root for, you know, one of my favorite players at the college I root for, but also at the pro team I root for. So right. it's so I, rare too. Like, yeah, it's so I, rare. I got that. I got that little bit with Ike Hilliard because I'm a Giants fan. I know you played for the Bucks, and congrats on the dub last night. Uh, God, we suck. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It is a unique and and strange feeling to. I mean, granted, I was an infant like i was born in 1994 but i mean still don't, tell, don't do not tell Riedel anthony that don't do that neil what making that man feel foul. like old when he can still no, he's, he's dude that this is foul it's so foul <laughs> that is messed up i was born in 1994 like this guy drinks from the fountain of youth i don't know hey, what he's what he's hey, upset hey, about Riedel could probably outrun all of us dude that no, in, 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 in the forty, us in that. I don't know why you're taking up for him. I don't know why he's so upset. The guy looks like he still could run routes for Florida today and step in and be wide receiver one. And that's and that's <laughs> not a knock on Trayvon Grimes. I love Trayvon Grimes, but I mean, Riedel still got it. Clearly, I mean, just don't tell the man you were born in 1994. I mean, uh, I mean he was playing college I when you were born. I suck. So, so Riedel, I just texted uh, Clarence, and I said, your brother is so cool. And I said, I gave you a shout-out on the pod. And he says, yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to make sure that man's telling the truth. Send it over once it's done. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but, but Casey, that means you better not tell any lies either. I, you know, no, 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 man. Okay, yeah. So the next question I've got for you, Riedel, is on the other side of the ball because – Florida's offense versus Georgia's defense is a matchup of strength on strength. But, I mean, things are going to matter when Georgia has the ball too. Like, that's also part of the game. Just because they're not strengths doesn't mean they're not important. And the one thing that Georgia has been able to really do consistently this year is run the ball with Zamir White and James Cook behind a pretty big-time offensive line. Passing game isn't great, but the thing is Florida's defense has also looked kind of suspicious this year. Yes, there was the Missouri game in which we definitely looked better. And yes, there are still some unknowns regarding who's going to play on defense this Saturday for Florida. But again, this is a matchup of weakness on weakness. So which of these units do you think has the advantage when Georgia has the ball? Uh, you know, definitely. I mean, Georgia, Georgia offense is run the ball. And they do have three playmakers outside, you know, at the receiver position, the Higgins kid and number 10. I think all those guys' names, I didn't look them up before I came over here. I should have. But if Georgia ever opens up their offense, they could create a lot of problems throughout the nation. But they still don't believe in that quarterback they have so much. So his his passing ability is already, you know, maintained to a small portion of the offense. So when they, you know, at running back, 
like I said, they got White, they got Cook, and they probably got two more in the stable. Uh, it seems like every year they sign two out of the top ten backs in the country. Every year. With another one committed what, right now, and that IMG, Lavoisier Carroll. So they recruit so well at the running back position that they could run the ball you know, down your throat for four quarters because they have a stable level. One get tired, they put another one. Guess what? He probably better than the first one but because of seniority, he's starting. And then outside, like I said, they have the Pickens kid who's another A.J. Green. A.J. Green? Damn, that is some high praise, sir. You know, just when they had A.J. Green, they threw the ball, they ran the ball. And then they had one burner, but unfortunate for us, unfortunately for them, their quarterback don't have type of arm, talent, and I think talent to continuously to get you deep, get the deep pass. So, you know, he has a dink and dunk. So, qu- quick quick question before I get to my next question. Give us, as, as you being an offensive legend in the Southeastern Conference, not just for the Gators, but being a true SEC legend that offensively left their mark, Give us a grade, an honest grade, not just being a Gator fan, but an honest grade of what you think of Stetson Bennett so far for, for Georgia, their quarterback. I hard to grade him. I give him, I give him two grades. A gritting is um, hard work, is smart, knowing where to go with the ball, managing a football game. He's an A, you know, for that. But as just a Overall, just quarterback, somehow I would want back there when points, you know, going up on the board a lot. You now he's he's a C at this, you know, just talent. You know, the first grade is, you know, the, the his smart, his grittiness, his preparation. You know, he's not going to go out there and mess up a play mentally. He's he going to line up everyone up right way. Somebody wrong, he's going to be able to correct them and make sure they're in the right formation and everything's going to at least start properly and start the right way. Talent, and as a guy that can make the throws, I may want as office coordinator, a guy that is limited. So that's talent-wise, physically, T. But as uh, some guys, you know, that win Super Bowls, um, that just manage the game, the defense win it. That's what he is. Yeah, game manager, I was going to say that. Game manager. That's all they're asking him to do, especially with that defense. They're playing NFL football on the college level. Short in the field, you can dunk, run the ball, eat the clock, play great defense. Eventually, That's what they did last year with I mean, it was just dink and dunks, passes in the flats, and it was just it, – it, it was simple. You know? you see, the, thing, the thing is, though, a lot of Florida fans knock that, and we try to roast Georgia for it, but we can't beat it. Mm-hmm. That is – and that is a distinction that I think a lot of people are either willfully ignorant of or they just don't seem to realize. Because I mean, look at Texas A&M a few weeks ago. I mean, with they didn't have – they had a few explosive plays. Well, no, they did throw some bombs. They did. But if you think about where we really got roasted, it was the little dink and dunks running up the middle. I mean, even Ole Miss did that, you know, where they just ran it up the middle. They had like a third and 19, and they got it, you know, not from a bomb, but from, you know, corral running and getting it. But, well, Ole Miss had a much younger quarterback. We're talking Kellen Mond's a fourth-year starter. True, but I'm, I'm what, what I'm saying is with – with this, it's those dinks and dunks. I'm agreeing with with both you and Reed, both you and Reedell, Neil, that it's these dinks and dunks that we can't stop. And so that's what Georgia has beaten us with, particularly last year. Um, yeah, and- no doubt. Defensively, you just have to prepare more situational football. You know, you want dinks and dunks because if you go back and all the analytics, as they like to say, or just calm the damn sense. If somebody try to go 80 yards 10 times in any college or NFL game, it's only going to happen maybe 30% of the time. 
So the dinks and dunks, as long as you come up and make the tackle and they don't get yards out the catch, it works. It's when you don't come up and tackle and a three-yard game goes for six. Which has been an issue for Florida, by the way. Tackling has been their bugaboo so far this year. And, and honestly, it might be something that we just try to do to them because they know that we like to throw the ball, but maybe – Maybe we can flip the script and give them a taste of their own medicine and dink and dunk them to death, especially with all the injuries they have. Well, you've got Tony as that X factor that can do that, you know, as a receiving threat, but you've got Malik Davis who can catch the ball um, and did and can do those dinks and dunks. So hopefully we'll see that against Georgia this week, which, which leads me into my next question. Coach Spurrier and Coach Meyer had special places or special games, whether that be you know, Florida State, or whether that be Georgia, or whether that be Tennessee, they were rivalry games, and they were treated differently. You know, the, both of them put extra emphasis on them, and the results showed, particularly with Urban Meyer. He was 17-2 and two against our rivals, Georgia, Florida State, Tennessee, and Miami. And so it's worth, you know, noting that in, in some of those years, Tennessee and Georgia were really good. Um, and it's right. cool that Kirby Smart approaches rivalry games the same way, because he's owned Auburn, he's owned Tennessee, he's owned you know, my workplace of Georgia Tech, and today he's on Florida. You know, he's 3-1 and one against the Gators, and this is Georgia's Super Bowl. And, you know, I think it should be, and this also needs to be our Super Bowl. So because this rivalry is so magnified right now, and it has been the past few years because they're both good, and we both made New Year's Six Bowls and finished in the top ten of the last two seasons, we know this game means a lot. But it goes without saying that we don't need to debate that this is a rivalry game, but – the winner has the inside track to all kinds of doors at the end of the season, whether that be Georgia gets to the Sugar Bowl and we get to the Orange Bowl, that you can argue that one means a little bit more than the other, but you know, we get those doors slammed in our faces because we don't get to go to Atlanta. We don't get to you know, participate and pay, play at that high level. So with all that in mind, I think a lot of Gator fans are asking them amongst, amongst themselves and you know, knowing this game means a lot, but – my question is just how much does this game mean for Mullen and the Florida game and the Florida program um, in the big picture? What does this game mean for the present and the future of where we are? Because we've gone through the past, you know, you own Georgia in the nineties um, and, you know, we own Georgia for most of the two thousands, but in this decade, it's been pretty abysmal. So what do you think it means um, for coach Mullen, his staff and this program? I feel like it means a lot uh, for recruiting purposes for one. Uh, Georgia is starting to keep all their top recruits in state, and that's why they're being successful. And they're coming to South Florida and getting guys out of South Florida to come across the border, you know, to Athens. And that is a luxury when you are winning, especially when the rivalry, like you're saying, they're, they're winning the recruiting rivalry. So I say I feel like you should treat this as playoff game, a uh, seat championship. You know, put a little extra emphasis on it. You know, because it, it really is for what SEC East. Uh, they both got one loss. Whoever loses this is pretty much out of it. It really is a championship game, and if he treats it as such, or treats it like he does those bowl games each year where they come out and, you know, just play lights out. It's – I don't see how they cannot go into this game very confident if they treat it that way that they can win. And, you know, and not just win, just, you know, they could make a statement Saturday on, hey, you had your fun, now it's over with, and it's – and for y'all to go back to the drawing board for the next 10 years. So what kind of statement do you think Florida can make with a win on Saturday? Exactly well, I mean, how they, big I mean, is getting by like two touchdowns or something. I ain't talking about just win. Um, I'm talking about two touchdowns, you know, that's making a statement. A win would just be, okay, we beat them. We recruit, okay, beat them. Hey, it could have been luck. But if you beat them by you know, 14 points or more, now people got to sit back and like, whoa, you know, just three weeks ago, we thought Florida was dead because they couldn't stop nobody. But now they go beat Georgia by 14. Now you're making a statement. You know, that's making a, that's what I mean by that. 
Absolutely. So, Riddell, something we love to do with our guests oh, gosh. is why you gotta say it like that, Dustin? Like I'm getting a little <laughs> He's <laughs> like, boy, it's, I thought, yeah, I thought I was on a, back then a horror movie or something. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you did sound kind of sinister there. Didn't he sound kind of like it, Halloween? It going on? <laughs> like Jesus. Well, we did just have Halloween, so yeah, yeah. he went right to the voice. Yeah. I mean, D- yeah. Dustin, we just need you to be Riddell. Meet the verdict. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not getting me to do that voice. Um, anyway. Anyway, Riddell, so something we do is we end our, end our show by, by asking and going around on a roundtable um, on the keys to the game, and we call this the verdict. So we're going to start out. Now, we also give our score prediction. So, Riddell, um, at the end of this, this segment, we'll, we'll get your prediction for the game. But before we do that, let's go around and give our keys to the game. So... Everyone, give your give one offensive key and one defensive key to the game. And since you're our guest, Riddell, we'll go and start with you. What would you say the keys to the game are this week? Offensively, start fast. Score early, score often. You know, that's the thing I feel like Florida's lacking. The past couple of years, they've moved the ball up and down the field, but they just have not scored early. They've always seemed to be fighting from behind, fighting from behind. They could score early. They would score often. And they would set the tone. And with knowing Georgia quarterback is so limited, you put him in that situation, it's like Bama did in the second half, he can't come from behind and win the game. So start fast, score often. Uh, Defensively, shoot. Get off the field on third downs. (laughs) Simple. No third and Grantham in Jacksonville. Redale Anthony's calling it. No third and Grantham in Jacksonville. That's it. Get off, get off the field on third now. <laughs> well, that would be the start of a new trend. Um, yes. Hey, 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 we we did it okay in the second half last week. Yeah, but 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 that's Missouri. Who give a fix in this one <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, like Georgia is a totally different animal than Missouri. To me, it's the rushing battle because whoever has rushed for more yards in the cocktail party has won this game every year since 2006. So that's 14 straight years that the team that's won the rushing battle in Jacksonville has won the game. And I know Florida's offense is passed first, so I won't be so binary as to say that Florida has to win the rushing battle to win the game, but it is going to be very important. If Georgia pays extra attention to our receivers and they leave the box fairly unmanned, we have to be able to exploit that. And we have to be able to at least slow their running game because it's a good one with Zamir White and James Cook. And if we're not careful, they can amass 300 yards on the ground and eat up 40 minutes a clock. So we got to be very careful about that. So Florida doesn't have to necessarily win the rushing battle, but they will have to keep Georgia from just – killing them on the ground and they have to be able to at least keep the dogs honest with their own ground game. I'm going to go with um, similar along the lines of what Neil said, Um, you know, to add to his stat, um, thanks to Tate Casey, the former great Florida tight end um, that put on his Twitter today, since 2005, when UF allows less than 100 rushing yards, they are 84 and eight. And when they allow 100 plus rushing yards, there are 56 and 49. Play physical up front. Um, so I'm going to say my key offensively is our offensive line, creating running space for Damian Pierce, creating running space for Malik Davis, and creating running space for Kadarius Tony um, when he's not catching balls. So that's my offensive. It's how the offensive line plays. Delance last week led to. It was a bust by DeLance, and it led to an interception. Um, That was a pick six last week against Missouri. Uh, So I think that offensive line play is how Florida really is going to live and die this week because we've got the players. We've got the quarterbacks. We've got the skill players. We've got the running backs. But they have to be protected up front to create open space, and Kyle Trask needs a clean pocket most of the day to get his job done. 
defensively um, since Riedel stole mine, get off the field, field on third down, um, creating turnovers. We've got to create a turnover. If we can get Georgia to turn over the ball and give the ball to our offense so we can score, that is what's going to lead to Riedel saying that we need to win. We can win by 14 points because if we can get the ball in our offense's hands more than when they're generally going to have it and take away the Georgia um, clock management because the past three years they have dominated the time of possession. If we can take that away from them by defensively getting the ball back in the hands of our offense, we're going to be fine. So Dustin, what are your keys? So my offensive key is right in line with what Neil said. So yes, the team that wins the rushing battle wins the game. But if you go deeper into that stat, if I'm not mistaken, it's more so the team that leads uh, time of possession. It's so important that Florida holds on to the ball, that they are consistent and methodical as they move down the field. Yes, explosive plays are important. They're important for many reasons. They're important for changing the momentum of the game, and they're important, obviously, for putting points on the board. But in order to give your offense time to rest, or your defense, I should say, time to rest and prepare for the next defensive possession, I believe it's important that you're able to hold the time of possession. On the other hand, from a defensive standpoint, it's important to prevent that time of possession from happening. In other words, it's important that Florida gets, and Riddell already said this, but it's important that Florida gets Georgia off the field on third down. So a key that I'm going to pull specifically from that is that Florida is able to be positionally aware on defense. And we saw this, uh, we saw a great improvement against Missouri where players weren't trying to be heroes. They were positionally aware of what they had to do at all times for the most part. And it paid dividends to um, how well they played in the game. Obviously, they got a little loose at the end as some some of the younger guys took in some garbage time. Um, but for the most part, they're positionally aware. And if Florida's going to have any chance against Georgia, it's important that our players are in position, that their gaps sound, um, that they're not allowing uh, Georgia's running backs and, the, and Georgia's talent um, on all in all phases of, of offense. They they. they they may not be one of the best offenses, but I guarantee you they have talent. So, um, and they're definitely going to get up for Florida. So we have to be positionally aware, and that—that's what I would say. My keys to the game would be: I—I I could talk for hours on that, especially talking to uh, someone who has the the offensive mind like Riddell. Anyway, so let's go ahead and get to our picks. I'm—I'm I'm gonna go ahead and pick the Gators. Uh, actually, I was—I've been wrestling with this pick for the last two weeks. But after seeing how the Gators performed defensively against Missouri, I think I can pick the Gators, and I'm going to pick the Gators to win. Uh, they're not going to score as much as they've scored in any game this season, but they're going to score enough to beat Georgia, and it's going to be 31-20. to 20. And I'm pleased with my track record. Um, in the previous game, I picked the, the Gators' offensive score right, th thanks to the help of the rest of the, the guys egging me on that my score was too low. So I'm going to go ahead and pick that. I'm going to go ahead and pick the original Missouri score from last week. I'll just bring it back and say it again. I'm going to say uh, Florida 31 and Georgia 20. And uh, that'll be ball game. Florida by 11. Go Gators. All right. So I live in Atlanta. And, Riedel, I don't know if you see over my shoulder and the listeners won't. I've got uh, a – Frame photo of Jacksonville behind me over my uh, shoulder in my bedroom. Uh, Duval. Duval. Uh. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, <laughs> God, you know, Neil will probably tell you there is a thing called the Casey rule. And the Casey rule is if we lose to a team three times, I'm not going to predict Florida to win until they win. Now, this does not mean that I don't want the Gators to win, but I've learned against Missouri and I've learned against, uh, you know, Florida State that nope, 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 we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. So, you know, and, and even if Georgia is down, I, I, I'm concerned because of the reason we just talked about that Dan Mullen does not treat this like his Super Bowl like Kirby Smart does. And you are 
not going to convince me that this doesn't mean as much as a national championship to Kirby Smart. And probably somewhere in the in the sweet little corners of his small little brain, this probably means more than that because he never beat Florida as a player. Or maybe he did once in 1997. Um, but he had a losing record against Florida. He did not beat Florida. So, yeah, he had a losing record against Florida. So he, he treats us like Coach Spurrier did. You know, he hates Florida like Coach Spurrier hated Georgia. So I'm going to go with Georgia 37, Florida 31 uh, for, for, for my prediction for the game. You've got them scoring a lot of points. Um, so like Dustin and I'm sure like Casey, I've been going back and forth about my pick for this game since the Missouri game ended and honestly since before that. There is a lot of stuff that favors Florida. Um, Alabama's got some good weapons, but Georgia hasn't faced such a natural mismatch like Kyle Pitts at tight end. And Georgia is pretty banged up. Starting safety Richard LeCount, as we mentioned, is out. Starting defensive lineman Julian Rochester is out. Another starting defensive lineman, Jordan Davis, got hurt against Kentucky, had his arm in a sling. According to 247 Sports' Georgia site, he's out. Monty Rice has a foot injury. He's expected to play, but probably won't be 100%. To me, the question is very simple. Can Florida stop the Georgia rushing attack? As I said, that's my key. And as I said in in my key, every single game since 2006, so the last 14 Florida-Georgia games, the team that has run for more yards has won the game. And I know Florida looked better defensively against Missouri. Georgia is not Missouri. They have better running backs, and they have a much better offensive line than Missouri. I think Georgia wins. I I really do. We couldn't stop Texas A&M's running game, and one game against a bad team doesn't set a rule. So I think Georgia's going to run the ball, maybe not down our throats, but they'll be able to run the ball with success. And I don't think – we'll be able to stop it for four quarters. We might for a drive, we might for a quarter, we might for a half. But I don't think we're going to be able to stop it after seeing it come right down our throats for four quarters. And banged up as they may be, Georgia's still got a lot of talent on that defense. And Zemir White's not a human being. Zemir White is a robot. Zemir Zemir White is not a human being. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's a back-and-forth game. I think we'll probably even have a lead late, but I don't think our defense will hold it against that Georgia ground game. And I'll say Georgia scores the game-winning touchdown in the final minute or two, and Georgia wins 28-24. And so since Casey and I have uh, probably let all y'all down, Riedel, we saved the best for last. What do you think? Oh, man. Hey, that was great, everyone. Explaining, uh, you know, know their takes on the game and I agree with everything you guys said um Florida showed that they can perform if they do their assignment I felt like the three weeks with them just having to meet walk through things and coach simplifying things and making everyone understand this is all you need to do your 111 not Try to do too much. They're starting to take on culture more. Because one thing about young men, they're going to question everything you coach, everything you tell them until they seek success. In the beginning of the season, Florida was having success on defense. But why should you believe in what you're being coached? But these three weeks that have went by and then come out Saturday and plan as well as they did defensively, I think they built some confidence. And coming off a great win, playing well as a, a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old, and to see the possibilities of you making that play the next week because you see Alabama doing the same thing y'all do and they say that guy on that screen was better than you coming out of high school. You got to take that as a challenge as a young man. With that mentality, I think the Gator defense is starting to take on. And with how many points they can score and how fast they can score, and also with knowing what we have in the secondary, 
I feel it could be a first or second round pick in Wilson that can match up against Georgia receivers he, if he plays. And I would love for Wilson to take that challenge. It has to be matched up with Pickens. Interesting call out there. Yeah. I like that. Can, if can he made up and take that challenge. Now yep. we can commit nine, nine, eight to the box, and no, they're not using the tight end. And we know the court quarterbacks limited and make them one dimensional. Shoot, you know, obviously I'm going with my gators and I'm a I feel like they're gonna do that. You know, they're gonna, you know, take the receiver out of the out of the way. And like you say, that white is not human. So three helmets on him every play. Cook is a one fumble away from not wanna get back in the game. That's Cook's problem. And they create some turnovers we'll create turnovers that's interesting that you mentioned marco that's that's really interesting considering that you know i i know you follow twitter as much as we do just watching the the florida fan chats and the you know armchair coaches and, and people like that and even pundits that said that he got burned at AM, you know worse than he's ever been burned in his gator career so it's interesting for for you to say that that uh that's that's a very insightful point i'm gonna start thinking about that Assuming he plays, and I don't know if he will, uh, assuming he plays, I am rooting so hard for that kid to bounce back. But, Riddell, let's get a score prediction. What do you think the score is? Okay, let me get a score. Hey, like I said, I feel like Gay's going to make a statement. And that little one-trick pony running the ball, and we take Pickens out the way. Let White get his, you know, it get close to it. He'll get 100 right around there. Um, I see Florida 34 – I like that 14 points for something, yeah. some reason. That's I just I just think we're going to get like three turnovers, maybe a defensive. And our field goal kicker, you know, he kicks from 50 yards like it's uh, an like uh, extra point in the NFL. So. And Dustin, I feel like we're on the prices right. You know, like 34-21, 34-20. Riddell just underbids you by one point. No, I said 31 31 20. Okay. So he, he's right. got three. He's got a field goal on me. So – well, this was a fascinating conversation to be part of. We always love bringing on guests with a special history against the team that we're bringing them on to talk about. And we hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast as much as we enjoyed making it happen. If you did enjoy our show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We're still just a few months old, and it would really mean a lot to us as we keep growing. Special thanks to Riddell Anthony for joining us tonight. And you can follow him at RiddellAnthony15. Riddell, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. In all kinds of weather, we all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. Go Gators! There we go. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's how you end a show right there. That's becoming Dustin's staple here. Um, in any case, Riddell, we really appreciated your time and insight. We certainly hope that your prediction is right and Casey's and mine are wrong. In any case, we had a great time with you tonight. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me.